0: Just remind me again, how do I pronounce your last name? Polis. Three, two, one. Mark Polis from Polis Painting out of Chicago. Thank you for being here today, Mark. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. A lot of people know who you are, but for those who don't, who are you and why are you doing this?
1: Mark Polis, own Polis Pain in Chicago. I'm doing this because I, uh, I did it through high school and college, then went off and did financial services and real estate. I was doing financial services with a company that is no longer around, Shearson Lehman. Um, it was a beautiful day like it is in Chicago today at about 78 degrees, sunny, and I was sitting in this not quite an office but not quite a cubicle, and I was like, yeah, this just isn't what I was looking for. Did some soul searching, went back out, said, "Hey, I think I'm going to go back to this painting thing."
0: So, it was a rare Midwestern nice day outside.
1: Yes, I mean, perfect. So, perfect. If this
0: if this exi- existential thought happened anytime November through March, you would have said, "I like the office life.
1: It's nice and warm in here."
0: But- it was sunny outside. It was nice outside. Maybe doing financial services in a cubicle for a company that's going to go out of business in a financial crash is not your full life's calling. I went back,
1: painted for a guy that I painted with in college, was offered a union apprenticeship. I figured if I'm going to do this, I might as well learn the craft as best as I could. So that's what I did. This and the I-
0: Chicago unions? Yes. A very strong union.
1: Very strong. Still strong today. I was hired on at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. It was the creme de la creme, creme de la creme. They fed you, they clothed you, you worked regardless. It was pretty easy. There was a, there was a, a saying at one point that I can't get anything done here. We have too many breaks. I just can't get it done. The great thing about it was you got to experience what Ritz Carlton service is all about. Being in that environment, I knew I was going to start my own business. It just was. It wasn't. If it was when I was able to absorb all of that training and all of that customer service, try to bring it to my business. So I was there for about six and a half, seven years, started MVP decorating in 96 or 97. Two Chicago years. Chicago
0: Bulls were doing very well that year.
1: Very, very well. So I, I had MVP decorating. And then two years later, I took on a partner and we were doing a ton of multi-unit new construction buildings in Chicago, the Wrigleyville area where the Cubs play, like thousands of units. And then the lovely year of 2008 hit and 2009. And Wait, what
0: type of work were you doing in 2008?
1: New construction, new construction. multi-unit buildings.
0: <laughs> Okay. I think I see
1: where this is going. Yeah. Talk me through it, what happened. Well, all of a sudden we stopped getting paid.
0: <laughs> Ooh, this was for work that you were about to do? Like work deposits?
1: Work that we have done. I mean, you know, we had a, we had some progress payments and then all of a sudden builders went AWOL.
0: Yeah.
1: And they weren't paying and obviously we weren't either. So I basically... That's
0: hard because you'd had 10, 12 years of stability... And after a decade, you start to stand pretty firmly on the foundation if it hasn't
1: moved in 12 Mm -hmm. years. Exactly. Exactly. We had a good go. We had a good go. And then it was kind of one of those things. I didn't make you know, some of the best decisions, decided, oh, no, I could keep this going with a line of credit. Mm, That wasn't very smart because the money never continued to come in. So I decided that we needed to split the partnership. It was my brother-in-law. I took on all the debt hmm. that I just can't do this. Our philosophies were a little different in business and such. So I started in 2009. I started Mark Polis painting, knowing that my name would be on every job that I did. And the rest is history.
0: Wow. Yeah. I was going to say, so that was 15 years ago, 2008. So after that, you probably went back to the office job, right? Nope. <laughs> oh, you started again. So we had yeah. a, a rebirth. Yeah. What what gave you the energy? I feel like a lot of people would be beaten down by the 2008 experience, especially when you're going hard into the segment that was hit the hardest. Mm-hmm. Because that had been a fruitful endeavor for 12 years, seemed stable. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Most people would be pretty beaten down, not excited about giving another go. Or was this a factor of the only thing I know? A factor of this is where my passion lies. What? What gave you the idea that you should start a painting company once again?
1: I just looked around and said, wait a second, there's still people out there getting stuff painted. And I always looked at it that way too, is that, yeah, the new construction market is down and people are kind of tight with their money, but that means they're not doing a lot of major construction projects, but they're going to work on their homes. So let's continue on.
0: For 15 years. And you said, I'll never take on another partner again. That was the worst.
1: No, I, it's like, you know, I, I always believed in partnerships. I always did. And it was kind of like an old boys kind of partnership was like, yeah, I like you. You like me. You know, we didn't complement each other's strengths, but we did complement each other's weaknesses. So that was kind of tough.
0: How did you, not everybody knows this, but you are a partner with all of holdings. What got you interested in doing that? Why would you do that? There's a,
1: there's a few reasons. I've been a lone wolf for you know, the last 14, 15 years. And even when I had a partner, I basically did everything except all the painting. I did some of the painting and I did it all. I did books, operations, project management, you know, through the garbage, whatever it took. And I grew to a point that it was a very comfortable lifestyle business. I always said to myself, there's something more. I actually saw you speak in either 2017 or 18 at the residential forum in minneapolis and you had talked about this thing that yeah you know maybe i see a roll up in the trades because it really hasn't happened but i said wow that's gotta be i looked at it as that's the wave of the future i thought about it i went to the first paint by numbers and it wasn't you know the partnership thing wasn't out there yet and kind of followed you saw what you guys were doing wheels started turning and i said wow this is kind of cool. One of the things that I think fascinated me the most was that I'm going to have a partner that's willing to dig in, work beside me and take on part of the responsibility. If I can turn to somebody for, Hey, this is exactly what it is. And I've been down the coaching road. I've chased shiny objects. I was like, okay, we could do this. And and I think I told you this before, because in December I was ready to pull the trigger and I said, nah, I'm going to do the, I think I'm going to do the coaching thing. And then I I sat back and said, you'll let yourself off the hook. Called you back and said, Hey, will you still have me? I just realized there's a ton of benefit. People have asked me as of late, is this an exit strategy for you? They look at him like exit strategy. Yeah. I'm 60 years old, but I'm looking at this as a 10 X. This is exit strategy. I'm, I'm diving in. What have some of the highs and lows been I'd say, what are we six months in? Maybe. Highs are, I feel like I have a business now. (laughs) What do you mean by that? like I said, I was the lone wolf. So I did what I want. I could let, I could let myself off the hook. I could say, Oh yeah, you know what? That really needs to get done. Okay. Oh, I didn't do that. Oh, well, too bad. Mm-hmm. Too bad. Let it go. Now I have, and I, and I think I, I told Dave this when he asked me, he says, well, what are one of the, give me a couple of things that you're looking for out of this partnership. And I said, I want someone to hold my feet to the fire. That's what I've gotten. It was easy to shirk responsibility by myself. It's not so much anymore. I asked that question as like, okay, if they were to come in here and fire me, what would they do today as opposed to what I'm doing? Lowe's have been just it's a grind. You're in the middle of a of a working business and trying to put all the pieces of what's going to make you sustainable and make you an asset.
0: You had said you were looking for a partner to come lean in and do mm-hmm. work with you has all Has all done that?
1: Yes. Yeah, definitely. In what ways? First one off the top of my head is team meetings. We had them inconsistently and on and off we have them now. I never really had a solid budget that I could turn to. Written down budget, we can do this and this is how much we can spend and this is Mm -hmm. where we're going now. It allows me to see the data. Once you know certain KPIs, it's kind of just a math problem. Just follow the data. This isn't working. This is working. You said team meetings. Do we have someone that's helping run team meetings? Or how oh, do you yeah. mean? Dave comes in and does our L10, the traction method. The other thing is, is I've since ha- hired an operations manager and a project manager. And I have an estimator who will be mm-hmm. out by you, I think on Thursday, we will be in Minnesota on Thursday cool. to hang out with Micah and Mark. Nice. She's going to do
0: field estimates with yep. our team or he?
1: Yep. Yep. He's a visual learner, so that's what he'll take away. I think it'll be really good for him as well. So Dave runs those meetings and we look at issues that we need to discuss. We look at big rocks for the future. We look for what's going right, where we're going next. And it's great to do every week.
0: So you've it sounds like you set we kind of say the first thing to do is set a strong compass. That's getting clear visibility on the budget, the numbers, the KPIs. Mm-hmm. The second step is to get the first group of a team set together. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, have you had a project manager, an estimator before, or are those new things this year?
1: Estimator I had, but we, you know, no, you want to train like you are not a painter. You have all that right. vast knowledge, but you want to train as, as you're not a painter. You're the client. You're, you know, you need to explain things that way. You can't throw all that jargon out there. You can't. Yeah, you can't Uh, info dump. That's like the cardinal rule of sales
0: is info dumping. A bunch of things that the client doesn't care about, but you're really excited about. Yeah,
1: it's like, excuse me, let me throw up all this information. Oh, did I get some on your shirt? I'm sorry. It's like a
0: car salesman (laughs) slapping the hood of a car and talking about how much spaghetti can fit inside of a car. This bad boy can fit so much spaghetti. Mamma mia. (laughs) Nobody cares about that. Don't. What type of painting does Mark Polis Painting do?
1: Good on the pronunciation. We do high-end residential repaints. We do a small amount of commercial. We do some schools, some churches, mostly low-end 800000 to $15 million homes. Would you and say you're pretty well-known in the area? I think so. I think so.
0: I think it was pretty fun for me when you came and visited the Twin Cities for our partner retreat at the baseball game, Minnesota Twins versus who knows who. And someone said, you were from the Chicago area and we a painter. I said, oh, have you heard of Mark Polis painting? And he said, you wouldn't believe it, but that's me. <laughs> so that was pretty exciting for me to observe.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty wild. Huh? Yeah, I know that guy. You're looking yeah. at it. That's pretty cool well yeah. celebrity that was another reason that I joined Alfis well, Wallace you can go so far with your name and i could you know i can mm-hmm. continue to to be the ferrari and just okay we're going to put out two or three cars a year or whatever it is you know yeah. and, or i can really expand my talents share them out that way. It's fun when a business is more of a magnifier or an amplifier
0: of your abilities instead of a governor or a restrainer. And I've found that I've talked to a lot of people where their business, that individual is uniquely talented in some aspect, but their business has many different aspects to it and their business ends up governing their true potential and their unique ability. opposed to when you have multiple people involved that are willing to shoulder the load, the company becomes more of an amplifier
1: of your unique talents. As you say that, I mentioned this before in our Q3 kickoff is that we do work in Lake Geneva, which is just it's in Wisconsin and it's about an hour and 20 minutes north of our location. And I've always talked about, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to open this market up as opposed and take my talent up there. And I haven't been able to do it because I have all the stuff going on here in the Chicago area, even though I do have guys that I have a couple employees that live up there, plus my guys from here go up there. I find that is where my unique ability lies is to create those relationships. Now I'm going to be able to spend more time up there doing that.
0: What was Mark like before corporate America? What was the young Mark like in high school and middle school?
1: Middle school, high school, we moved from Chicago proper, west side of the city, which is now kind of a war zone, to a fairly affluent suburb. I was a little uh, taken aback at first, and then uh, my dad died when I was 13, and I kind of, I wouldn't say go out, went off the deep end, but I had a wild side to me. Basically, I started, you know, I got involved in sports and I wrestled through high school and college. And it was a lot. It allowed me to kind of channel some of that crazy energy, get a, a great dose of discipline. And I, I think that still kind of holds true today As I still like to have fun. I didn't know you wrestled in college. I did. I what did. was your favorite move? Uh, I just going to stick to the basic with a double leg takedown.
0: classic. Classic double leg takedown. How about like a pinning move? Did you have a
1: favorite pinning move? We called it the Gable Roll. It was named after Dan Gable. And it's basically like a chicken wing. And then you pull the guy's arm through his crotch and turn him over. (laughs) Drive forward, I pull him up onto my knee and I'm tight. That seems like it'd be very effective. Uh, It was very effective. And and, and it's weird because I look at comparisons to painting and wrestling just in my life. I wrestled and the school I chose to go to in college was not for the academics of it, but who they wrestled against. It was Uh like who the competition was. And it's same thing in painting. It's like, I wasn't looking to broadcast everywhere. I just wanted to work with the best. When I wrestled, we wrestled Iowa, Iowa State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. We wrestled Penn State. We wrestled all the major powerhouses of the time. That was the reason I went there. I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to be against the best. Where did you go to college? Drake University in beautiful Des Moines, Iowa. Were you pretty good? I mean, you were good enough to wrestle in college. Yeah, I was pretty good. I was pretty good. The college life kind of derailed me a little bit from what my mission was
0: there. Sure. Wrestling, like you said, it's a very disciplined, heavy sport. What is the universe and how does it operate? What do you think about this? I don't know what the universe is sometimes. This is a picture. It's the universe. Okay. And then over here, it says universe pretending to be individuals. They all look like they're separate entities above ground. It's actually all part of the same hand. What do you think about that?
1: I think there's a lot of truth in that. Ooh. I think what do you think that, that,
0: what do you, what do you what do you mean by that?
1: But I think that we're all connected in some way. I don't I'm not built like it, but I used to run a lot when I worked at the Ritz-Carlton since it was close so close to Lake Michigan as I would get there at five o'clock in the morning. And I would run the lakefront. And when it was when it was freezing out, you ran on the sand, it felt great because the sand was, you know, the water would come up, but the sand was packed in. So it was like a, a padded surface. Because nice. if you were on concrete, the water got up there and there was black ice and you could end up in the water. One of the things that I always thought of is as I was running and I would pass other runners or runner other runners would pass me or we cross paths. I always felt that, hey, we're all on this same journey together, regardless of pace or ability or anything else. It's just like, hey. The, wait, what did you say you are? The ombudsman. What's the, that mean? Uh, you know, the, the go-between, the, uh, the representative, the mm. dignitary, not dignitary, but you are the bringer of good faith and goodwill.
0: Hmm. Some early morning running thoughts. I like those. That's it. What else do you think about when you're running on those Chicago mornings?
1: The world is mine. That's all it was. I mean, you have to feel that. I mean, because you run so much. I mean, that you—it's you, it's you in the world and the world—and you have to be part, and you're part of that. Because how mm-hmm. often are you? How often do you see people when you're running? Other than when you're doing a hundred miles,
0: it's very rare.
1: And so it's just—it's you and the world. Do you live in the city? I do not. I live in the suburbs. I used to live in this. I used to live in the I was city. gonna
0: wonder what is it, what is that energy like in the city?
1: Right now, I couldn't tell you. I have a son that lives in yeah. the city and it's okay. a pretty it's a pretty cool energy where he's at. I don't know ever since the pandemic, you know, what city life is like now. Here's something
0: I've been thinking about. Why is it when you multiply two negatives together, they equal a positive? doesn't make any sense. Have you heard about this? A little bit. (sighs) If you have like uh, 2 times 2 would equal 4. That's a positive number. Mm -hmm. 2 times negative 2 would equal negative 4. It's a negative number. This is basically the same. I don't know why they have this other one. But negative 2 times negative 2 equals positive 4. What's that about? I feel like they're messing with us.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. Math
0: people are messing with me, and it's a joke. And they're just seeing if I'll say something or if I'm going to go along with it. Negative 2 times negative 2 equals positive 4. How do two negatives equal positive? We're multiplied. But when you add them up together, they're still negative. That seems fishy to me. I, yeah. I... I think it's questionable. I think there's some shenanigans going on there. Have you heard about the entrepreneur? I want to call it an endemic, wantrepreneur thing that's been going on? A lot of people want to be entrepreneurs,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but they are not entrepreneurs. It's kind of sad. It's kind of bad. And I feel like there are a lot of sharks out there. Saying, guys, if you don't get out of your comfort zone, nothing will change in your life. Actually, that's a bad premise for this. Let me start that over. <laughs> Cut. Okay. No. Here's another picture, it's a shark. He's talking to these guys who are scuba divers with oxygen and they're in a a cage, Mm -hmm. metal. he's saying, guys, if you don't get out of your comfort zone, nothing will change in your life. What do you think
1: about this? Entrepreneurs or hunters or whatever are, it's almost a gene thing. It's a Uh, disorder. Yeah, exactly. If you have it, that's what you do. You go and you hunt and you and you make things happen. And the big thing is, is on on both sides of it, going back to that unique ability type thing is it's either if you don't, but you're a entrepreneur, you need to find people that are that will help you. And if you are, you need to pe- find the people that are more hunter gatherers.
0: I think the shark just wants to eat the people.
1: Yeah, I think I mean, but he's got all those fish there. What, what's up with that? That's a great point.
0: If he's hungry, why does he not eat the fish? These people are full of rubber (laughs) metal Metal. Compressed gas. Yeah, this is going to be way easier to eat the fish. I think he may not even be hungry. He just wants a challenge in his life. And he's telling them to get out of the cage, not for their own benefit, but for his benefit. They will no longer have protection when they get out of their comfort zone. It's one of the critiques of a comfort zone is that it's comfortable, but maybe it's protecting you from the sharks. something to think about, I suppose. Mm Mm-hmm. How do you think the fear of death manifests itself in your daily life?
1: Are you afraid of death? No, I think it's a part of life. I think it's a part of life. Do I want to extend my life? Yes. If death comes knocking on my door, I'm okay with that.
0: What do you think happens after we die?
1: I don't know where we go. I don't know what happens. I'd like to believe that, you know, I think we
0: usually go into like the ground or we're cremated.
1: Right. But
0: are you saying there's something else that happens with our another part of our being? Not uh, yeah, so what
1: happens? So you so you die, and within seconds of your dying, I think you lose weight after you die. Okay, even though you're the same physical person. So is mm. that air, or is that your soul, mm. or is that your life force that leaves Midichlorians. <laughs> but where? I mean, where does that go? I love that phrase. That I'm not a human having a spiritual experience. I'm a, a human spiritual. being have a spiritual experience. I'm a spiritual being having a human having experience. A human experience. That and the you know, nowhere and now here. So you believe in spirits? And I do. Goddess- I believe in God? It's like I was raised in a Greek Orthodox church. Religion isn't always my thing, but I've always felt close to God. I don't know how that mm. works out. It just seems like you know I know that someone's watching over me somewhere
0: that's interesting
1: what do you think religion is i don't know what i think religion is
0: sometimes (laughs) i think religion is like a program or systems and structures that are supposed to lead us to greater spirituality because when people say like they're religious about their diet they're just very regimented To achieve the result that they want or if someone's religious about working out or religious about writing a diary or religious about religion i feel like religion done right gets you closer to spirituality but to your point a lot of people experience religion in a way that gets them further away from a spiritual experience that's doing religion
1: wrong i agree you know is it constraining or is it something that as they would say sets you free
0: yeah if you if you had a focus of um physical health through your diet and mm-hmm. you were religious about a diet that made you less healthy. Mm-hmm. I'd say you're, you were religious in the lo- in the wrong way to a diet. You should be religious to a diet that improves your health, not one that hurts it. Same so you, way-
1: shouldn't be, you shouldn't be religious to a diet of Twinkies and pizza
0: that you could technically be very religious <clears throat> to a diet of Twinkies and pizza. Yes. just will get a result. That is not what you may be desiring. Mm-hmm. And if you're religious to uh, rhythm, that furthers you from spirituality, you're probably doing it wrong. Are you doing the wrong one the wrong way? Got it. What is suffering? Where does it come from? And how can living a happy life bring us to a sad place? Like this is from a movie. I think it says it's like a cartoon sad person. Okay. Um, Three questions in there. What is suffering and where does it come from?
1: So is an all life suffering.
0: I don't think there was suffering in the Judeo-Christian paradigm of the garden of eden so there's this story i think jews hold to it as well because it's in the old testament which mm-hmm. is there was this garden of eden before man tried to become god where there was no pain and suffering from my understanding so maybe not so maybe, maybe life as we know it today there is no absence of suffering
1: i'm not saying suffering is a bad thing and there was a saying that i used to use all the time when i would get overwhelmed and people are like oh Why are you like that? I said, I'm just addicted to the suffering. I came for the low. You know, that constant striving of it's moving without progress, is suffering. You know, the monks that wash dishes for 12 hours or whatever. It's I'm not I'm not thinking about what else I have to do or what else I need to do or anything like that. It's I'm just washing the dishes and I'm going to continue to do that. So I don't know. So there's. there's
0: There's a benefit in suffering, and that it brings us into the moment and perhaps uh, saves us from existential dread. You could say? (laughs) Maybe. So I don't know how to pronounce this guy, Siphia, Siphius maybe, Siphius, he's, he's a dude who's pushing a boulder. It's like a punishment actually. He's pushing a boulder up a hill and that falls down, he has to push it back up. It's like his punishment for trying to cheat, cheat death twice. But some would say it's actually a joy to do that because it gives him purpose and meaning and it's a struggle and it's a challenge that repeats itself over and over. What do we say? We were just saying suffering is life, suffering gives us meaning, gives us purpose. Suffering lets us know that we're alive. The flip side of that would be,
1: what is happiness? What is happiness to you? I'm My happiness is in this guy. It's the progression of continually pushing that ball up the hill or that stone up the hill. Mm. There's progress in it. I think happiness is kind of, uh, I'm trying to think, it's like, I, I'm, I'm drawing all these things now together from what we've been talking about. And I'm thinking religion and suffering and happiness I think suffering is expecting an outcome or expecting something that that doesn't happen. They're suffering in that with religion. It's progress because it's you know, you're progressing. If you have a certain religion or a certain faith, you know, whether it be fitness or whatever, you are following that and it's progressing you in a certain direction that leads you to happiness unless you continue to hold on to the suffering, which is, you know, looking at the horizon instead of looking at where you've come from. Deep thoughts with Mark. <laughs>
0: I like that. How can living a happy life lead to a place of sadness? Maybe that's what we just talked about.
1: I think if you take happiness as the number one goal or aim is you're shooting for happiness. So whatever makes you happy, you do, and you don't you don't suffer to make it better
0: you're probably familiar with this this setup you've probably seen this before the trolley problem classic (laughs) Mm -hmm. trolley is on the way to run over some people you have an innocent bystander somehow is tied to other tracks that is not in danger you have a lever you can change the direction of the trolley saving these five people but now this person will die who was not going to die what would you do in this scenario
1: Mark, would you pull the lever? I'm running away. I don't know what happens. I'm leaving it to fate. I think in that, I, I actually think in that in that instance, is this everybody? One suffers so we all can benefit? Is that what that is? Is that?
0: These are decisions that different people make. That's interesting. You let fate run its course. I thought you might say that. I <laughs> set you up here, which is, this is uh, a little bit of an interaction. Saying what's your number? DM over social media. What's what's somebody's cell number? No, I mean what's your number? How many people until you should pull the lever are on here?
1: Right, And n number of people is. I didn't even capture this. He's gonna he's gonna get run over. He's
0: currently tied to the tracks. I've never seen this one. Oh, I
1: yeah, I didn't see that before either. This is, new, this
0: is a new one. So you are tied to the tracks. <laughs> How many people will require to be on these tracks to
1: where you would pull the lever? Oh. This is actually a great question. What's your number, Mark? Who are those people? Not just quantitative. Let's look at qualitative. Who are those people? So
0: let's start with they are strangers you have never met, nor will you ever know.
1: Got to be a lot of people there. Okay. I'll be flat out honest on that. It has to be a lot of people. Probably like 50. Yeah. Maybe like 20. Yeah. I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that question.
0: This is a tough one. What if it was? People you don't know, but you will know because they will forever. Actually, you won't know them. She'll be dead. Um, they would have to be people that you know. You go acquaintances and then close acquaintances then close friends and extended family, then close family. That's an interesting continuum to have this thought experiment around. I like you too much to corner you and badger you too hard, though. <laughs> so I'm not going gonna... Gonna to let you off the hook because I respect you too much.
1: Well, thanks. Thanks. Because I... It's like that's going to be a, a question that haunts me for the rest of the day. Now, <laughs> that's a good thing to think about. What is your number? What uh, is your number? Under what? Well, are we are we self sustaining here? Do you think the United States is self sustaining?
0: I mean, I am just a humble painter from flyover country. So there's very little that I truly know. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, the U.S. is one of the best positioned to either be self-sustaining or self-reliant or have a close sphere of self-reliance in the mm-hmm. Americas if globalization begins to break down. So right now we've all benefited from globalization. Well, not all of us, <laughs> not everybody, <laughs> which has benefited you know, specialization and compartmentalizing of production, which with a free trade system and relatively kind interactions between countries relatively Mm. has allowed a lot of things to be produced for a relatively low amount of dollars. So you have a lot more global GDP, which has created a lot more opportunities to consume. And we all know that consumption is the precursor to happiness. The absence of suffering is happiness as we were talking about. Mm -hmm. Maybe
1: maybe
0: uh but yeah i think the us is well positioned from what i understand but um, i do know that we have the most guns so yeah seven times, okay nine, with seven
1: times as many as any other you
0: know there's a reason why we don't have health care <laughs> we have an awesome military i think
1: his whole argument on population and the population in the U.S. is going down, too. And I said, yeah, but we have a secret weapon. We have the border and we can open it up at any time. Because people want to be here.
0: You got it. We are the, the we are the coolest country by far. Mm-hmm. And that is I always tell people and this that is the, that is the most important thing mm-hmm. that we are cool. That's America is really cool and people want to be in here yeah. and it's cool because of our freedom, relative freedom, right? our relative democracy and opportunities, the relative opportunities that just don't exist in many places. So maybe we'll close on this thought. We all think we're great philosophers here on this show. Talking about how does the economic prosperity of the world continue as nationalism rises and globalization begins to decrease and become more aware of our suffering and maybe the meaning that suffering brings us and the inability to escape suffering that technology is only a tool that transfers the type of suffering that we experience as we get rid of our hunger we now experience the pain and regret of gluttony so we get rid of the pain of boredom we now deal with the, the challenges that come with being overstimulated and the inescapable nature of existential dread so this is a guy standing in a party saying they don't know it's all slowly collapsing bro we know we can't change it either everyone knows dude you're not a genius so we love to philosophize here and think that we're all smart and have deep thoughts and in the
1: day everyone's just having fun at the party and maybe that's okay. I think at times it is okay just to have, have fun at the party.
0: And that is why you are today's guest. Mark is the fun guy. He is the party guy. Mark, if we're going to have fun and party, what are some things we should know about?
1: What can you bring to the party? I don't have to bring gifts. It's like, who are you when you show up at the party? Bring your real self, bring your giving self,
0: you're in a club to have fun. Just look happy well, on the outside. Mark, I love your mindset. I love how you think about things. I love your happiness and your joy. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Any I parting think, thoughts?
1: Is, is AI a manifestation of the next evolution? And I think the only thing that helps us is that are we good humans? Because that's what it's going to learn from
0: That is a really, yeah. What is the AI's purpose? We don't even know what our purpose is. Like the biggest disagreement we have is what is good? What is bad? What is purpose? There are very strong factions and all those things. Yeah. The idea that we are birthing AI as a natural part of our evolution Mm -hmm. is an interesting thought for sure. That's
1: what I'll leave you on.
0: You hold down Chicago for us and
1: have everybody take care of my man up there. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. Okay.
0: All right. Good job, man. That was fun. I'm going to head to Alaska for a few weeks. So there's a chance this doesn't get out till September.